Welcome to Health Stealth Radio, where we move away from the mundane to gather insights from the shadows, from the shadows of enterprise and patient cybersecurity. Yes, we surely believe that traditional themes like endpoint software and zero trust are critical, but given massive advances in AI, remote and wearable device hacking, and data hostage negotiators, there's a much darker side to cybersecurity, and not everyone is quite willing to talk about it in public. Health Stealth Radio will thrive on these topics and encourage fireside spats to debate them. Here's your host, Frank Katita. I'd like to welcome you to Health Stealth Radio. This is Insights from the Shadows of Healthcare Cybersecurity. And uh, today we have as our guests two of uh, Chime's finest in terms of their work with the uh, government sector. Uh, we have uh, Mari Savickas and Chelsea Arnone. And in my old country, we say Arnone, but we'll we'll keep it at Arnone today. Uh, they head up the uh, foreign affairs team or the federal affairs team at Chime. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know, the uh, Chime is the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. Uh, today's topic is the much-awaited federal cybersecurity policy for health released in Washington last week after numerous delays as a result of weather, as I understand it, uh, so they could tell that for uh, themselves. Uh, anytime somebody says federal affairs and policy and legislation, uh, you could... Uh, eyes glazing over. Yeah. Fortunately, on radio, you can't see that. But uh, these ladies have assured me they're going to keep this lively. Uh, I know that they will because I know their personality, they're sassy, and they, uh, they're they good uh, in terms of the work that they do. What I'd like them to do is to first introduce themselves uh, and each give me just a short day in the life of from you. And uh, we also like to keep the work-life balance uh, in this too. So uh, tell us what you like. To, you're not... Uh, Hounding legislators. Chelsea? Um, so I am the director here at Chime. I have been um, in government relations starting on the Hill since about 2008, sometime now. And in my spare time, which I have little of uh, now more and more, I like to go fishing. Wow, impressive. Mari? Well, hi, thanks, Frank. I am the head of government affairs for Chime, and in my spare time, I teach yoga and take yoga. Fantastic. So uh, the reason this uh, this uh, interview first came about was there was an interesting story in Axios that uh, gave some attribution to Chime and, and the folks that we have here on the call uh, related to healthcare devices and the cyber risk of healthcare devices. I, I, this won't be an entire radio show on healthcare device vulnerability, but at the same time, it, it is sort of interesting and unnerving what's happening out there with these devices uh, and why government would need to get involved in something like that. I think it's probably a pretty obvious answer, but uh, at the same time, uh, maybe uh, Chelsea, you could you could give us a little indication of, of how this whole medical device thing came about and uh, and where you see the risks. So um, this came about with the Patch Act, which is Chime-supported, long-thought legislation that was finally passed in um, 2022. And it includes a lot of new, important cybersecurity requirements for medical device manufacturers. And this is because the FBI and GAO reports have found that 
scary numbers, 6.2 vulnerabilities are per medical device. And recalls have been issued for critical devices such as pacemakers and insulin pumps with known security issues. So that comes down to, you know, challenges that remain with what are known as legacy devices. So the FDA and international regulators that a legacy device is a medical device that cannot be reasonably protected against current cybersecurity threats. This could be because, you know, device design or lack of maintenance for cybersecurity. And because they cannot be reasonably protected, they're more vulnerable than other devices, which increases risk to the hospital network and other devices on the same network. So this is something the entire healthcare sector, providers and manufacturers of devices are going to need to work together to remedy and challenges just remain in managing the risk of legacy devices. The Patch Act really took us a step further for new devices on the market, but there are legacy devices that still need to be dealt with. Mari, did I miss anything? Interesting. So so I, I just not to be naive, but I mean, I'm assuming that somebody would hack into these devices using some kind of other device. Is that, is that where the, uh, the risk lies? Absolutely. There are lots of ways that they can get into these devices. Um, and there are some that are just no post-market updates. So their software is ancient. Interesting. We just had a, a previous episodes, we had somebody from ISAC talking about how hacktivism has become prevalent, uh, especially as a result of what's happening in Israel, uh, Ukraine. So and, and that the Israeli companies are especially prone to that. So uh, it, this is a global problem, obviously not a U.S. problem. So so the main part of the, uh, the program here today is related to another policy uh, or legislation that's just come out. I guess it's policy at this point. Uh, so um, a lot of interesting things about this. Uh, you know, one wonders, first of all, it's not quite over yet. I, I think there's a lot of public comment. So I, I'm wondering, uh, Mari or, or, or Chelsea, whoever would like to go first, if you could explain the most current legislation just sort of released last week after, like I said, a couple snow delays uh, and legislative problems. So uh, what, how, how would you best describe this legislation related to healthcare cybersecurity that came out? I can start, Frank. Well, so first of all, it's not legislation. Um, it is simply sub-regulatory guidance at this point, which that's an unsexy way of saying that it's not a law, right? It's something that the agency department, Health and Human Services, has put out, and they put it out in a voluntary form. But if you go back, I go. I always like to bring us back in the time machine. Like, how do we get here? So HHS just releases again, following many delays because we have like one snowplow in Washington. So we finally get this out the door. It was supposed to be released in December. Then I was like, yeah, then, you know, snow, snow, snow. Finally, okay, it comes out. And it says there's 20, and I'll let Chelsea elaborate on what these are in a moment, 20 voluntary CPGs. So CPGs is like a new acronym to our lexicon. If you have, you're like, wait, what is this? I'll just tell you so you don't have to go look it up. Cybersecurity performance goals, right? And they're voluntary. So this is a government's way of nudging us forward as an industry. So if you look back over several years, our industry was, it was not in a coordinated state. We were not all swimming in the same direction. Cybersecurity was not a priority for the healthcare sector, but we hit reboot a few years ago. And I think, you know, to use an old saying, we've come a long way, baby. We have come a long way. Doesn't mean it's perfect. No, it does not. Doesn't mean that we're making a lot of improvements and working together. Yes, it does. So this is one step in that journey. If you think about it as a journey, 
And the administration is very focused. The White House is very focused on the attacks that have been very public, both within our sector and outside of our sector. Hello, anyone? Colonial pipeline, that ring a bell, right? So you can't have hospitals without water. You can't have hospitals without electricity. We're all very connected. And so when some very public attacks occurred in hospitals, that got the attention of the White House, who in turn pushed forward to say, we've got to make this a priority. So we're very grateful, but it will journey. And I know we're going to get into the, the meat and potatoes, right? Or the pasta. <laughs> Do you're Italian like I am? We're going to get into it in a second. So maybe, Chelsea, you want to add on anything I had to say about the, the CPGs, the new acronym? Fun new acronym, because we needed one more. I would just say that they're divided into 10 essential and 10 enhanced, meaning 10 is like the basics you should do. 10 is if you want to go above and beyond and be, be an overachiever in cybersecurity and both the sector's posture. And they might be easier for larger organizations to achieve. They might already be doing these things. Um, and, you know, some of them, the lesser resourced may not, may, may be a little bit of a struggle to get there, but they'll get there. So, so first of all, it, it sounds something like a maturity model. So it, it is, is a, maybe a bad metaphor that start out at the basics and move up. You, you might be cringing when I say that, but uh, I'm just saying that you, you, you know, go from zero to stage six or something like that, like the MRM. What what are some of the elements of of, of these um, these performance indicators and and who looks at them? Let me start with the high level, and then we can dig down into like into the trenches here. So these are predicated on some best practices. So again, going back in the time machine, go go back back back. Twenty fifteen, CISA, the Cybersecurity Information I think Sharing Act or of twenty fifteen. Don't quote me. Acronym, because all we do is talk in acronyms all day. I'm sure Chelsea will correct me. CISA 2015 had a provision in there that says, listen, HHS, we need you to work with the sector and develop some voluntary, I'm, I'm emphasizing voluntary cybersecurity best practices for healthcare. So a lot has happened between 2015 and today. And what was released last week builds upon these voluntary set of best practices that were co-developed in conjunction with the industry, meaning our side, meaning non-government, and the government. So together, we work together, collaboratively develop these. They're in use today in a voluntary manner. So I'll just stop there and let Chelsea build upon the voluntary nature and, and what these are actually predicated on. So the law that you're talking about is the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act of 2015. <laughs> so I, I don't think you are far off. I think you got it. And um, so these are mapped, right, to current documents that a lot of organizations are currently using NIST, for example, which is another acronym, Alphabet Soup, and also the HSCC Cyber Working Groups, Hiccup. Is that what they're tied to, Mark? Because I'm blanking right now. So it's Hiccup. It sounds like a bodily function, but it is the, the nickname for the best practices is Hiccup. You almost need a dictionary to talk in our language. And after a while, you, you start saying to yourself, like, you don't even know what the name of the real law is. You're just just like, yeah, it's Patch. It's like, it's CISA. It's this, it's that. I mean, it's just too long because these things do not, let's be honest, they don't roll off the tongue, okay? You have 405D is a big program, right? There's a big program now inside of HHS that all this all spun out of that law in 2015. They create these voluntary best practices. Great. 2015. And now we have them. They're being used by many providers voluntarily, right? Then along comes the government and says like, hey, you guys should doing, be doing a little bit more, everyone. Hey, let's all swim in the same direction. 
let's tie, you know, these best practices to the 405D stuff, which they call it hiccup. It's, it's, you know, we can give you all the acronym soup at the end. Greg, if you want to throw something up on the screen, boom, boom, boom. You want to be like some cyber ninja acronym. <laughs> we have master. no screen here. <laughs> well, right at the very end, your little screenshot, we will give you the acronym soup. Um, any reader who wants to like get into the, the nuts and bullets of acronyms and healthcare. I mean, we we'll can give help a, we'll give a link to the glossary. We'll give the a link to the glossary. Cybersecurity practices. Hiccup. Right. Hiccup I love. I'll be using that to, like I know it. All voluntary today. And I, I did have another little fun fact for you is, um, and I'm sure that Chelsea's going to get into this in a moment, is HIPAA security rule. You're like, what does this have to do with hiccup? Oh, we'll tell you. Um, but here's the fun fact before I let Chelsea dive into the, again, the meat and potatoes, is the proposed rule, it looks like it was published for the first time, wait for it, everyone, August 12th, 1998. Some of you probably weren't even alive. So that's how long ago that was the first that was a proposed piece. So the the rules have not they've been updated like you know a few times in um, recent history, but not re, but not very recent. So there's something I'll, I'm teeing it up here for Chelsea about ah uh, HIPAA security. What well, mine's more talking about the HIPAA security rules. So with these sector CPGs for the sector, our sector health and public health care. And we have a lot of carts before horses here, which is not very uncommon here in D.C., but we don't really know exactly how they're going to enforce implementation precisely. But we're going to take some educated guesses. Um, OCR is planning on reopening the HIPAA security rule in a proposed regulation later this year. I believe it's slated for August, but uh, the unified in which these regulations that are planned are you know, timed out, they don't have to abide by that schedule. Sometimes they're earlier, most of the time they're much later. So sometime towards the end of this year, we will see the HIPAA security rule reopened and we are expecting to see the uh, as part of these HPH CPGs um, in that rulemaking. This is when you insert dramatic music like dun, dun, dun. Oh, well, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna insert, you're listening to Health Stealth Radio on the healthcare now Radio Syndicate. Today's guests are Mary Savickis and Chelsea Arnone, who head up the Federal Affairs team at CHIME, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. Today's topic is the much-awaited federal healthcare cybersecurity policy released in Washington last week. So anyway, uh, just uh, let me jump in after that but um bum bum and ask... Um, I just like to be annoying, uh, and and I have been. And everyone, I've said this to. I, I said this quacks and walks like the meaningful use policy of cybersecurity. Shakes their head and said, "Don't say that." And I could see people shaking their finger at me. Maybe maybe it's not, but the, the reason I ask that is because we, we we have these guidelines now that that are that are out there. And then one of the uh, one of the legislative bullet points is that is that the. the the government will provide resources to incentivize and implement cybersecurity practices. So it begs the question of this word incentivize and provide resources. Uh, and, and I might be putting the cart way before the horse. Um, Chelsea or, or Mari, what, what's the incentivization part that you see in this? Uh, and, and it's not there already. And, and that would be Chelsea. Yeah, it's not there. And that I think Mari will tell you is why it is not at all like meaningful use, because meaningful use actually provided financial incentives for providers before they implemented meaningful 
use. And a lot of people are very triggered by meaningful use and have some PTSD, especially Mari, I know. Um, but the biggest problem facing our sector right now is the lack of funding and resources, especially for those that have the, the safety net hospitals and the rurals that are often caring for the most vulnerable patients. They're operating on razor slim margins, just keeping the doors open and hopefully the lights on. So cyber safety is safety. But in order to get financial incentives, you need Congress. And I've gotten approved statements from our congressional counterpart, Cassie. Um, you know, while the House Speaker Johnson has been very clear that any new programs that are passed in this year's Congress uh, need to have an offset, meaning they need to have what's known as a pay for. So something needs to pay for them. I don't know how much this is going to cost. I cannot imagine it will be a small amount. So I think, unfortunately, but realistically, Congress is highly unlikely to pass a package that includes cybersecurity funding for hospitals and health systems this year, regardless of how they make this glide path with CPGs. Mari, you want to tack on any more doom and gloom or maybe some happiness? Yeah, I think one thing I'd say is that usually our members do just about anything the government asks them to do. It's just that they need the right amount of time to do it. And so it needs to be sequenced in a manner that is not overly aggressive should this you know push come to shove and this turns into mandates. So we'll be keeping a really close eye on that because Chelsea noted the climate in Washington to receive additional funding is not very favorable right now. We're also in an election year. So it, the probability security rule coming out this year, very, very high. I would say a lot in, in other years, it might be like, oh, we're thinking about fall and then fall turns into like next spring and it goes on and on. And that's not the case in an election year. They're going to push these things out lickety split. And so we will have a better sense of timing should there be, be some mandates in there. But either way, we're going to need a sequence runway because this is only one set of mandates, potential mandates, potential, that our members are actually wrestling with. There's a whole other host of things inside the digital health and health IT ecosystem that are not directly related to cyber that must be met. Chelsea's intimately aware. And there are other cyber directly related uh, provisions that they're going to have to comply with soon from the Sertia law that was passed. Do tell, March do tell, Saoirse Law, okay? Sister, sister of Hiccup, right? <laughs> it was passed in March of 2022, actually. So this is pretty quick for some rulemaking to get turned around. So Chime responded to the Department of Homeland Security, DHS's, their sub-agency, sub CISA, uh, request for information last year, November 2022. Oh my gosh, it's been a while. So we, we responded to that, and that was just to gauge the industry's reaction on how they're going to propose this rule this year. In uh, It's slated for March. It's already under review at the White House, which is the final stage before it's released. So I would not be shocked if they kind of stick to that timeline. So the proposed rule, um, which requires CISA to implement the law's requirements that covered entities, meaning critical infrastructure owners and operators that experience a cyber incident, they have to report these to the agency no later than 72 hours after they reasonably believe that it has occurred. Further, if they make a ransomware payment, they must report the payment no later than 24 hours after it was made. So 
Well, how did they come up with 72 hours? Pulled out of a hat. Okay. Yeah. Really? Okay. Because I mean, it seems, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a CISO, but it seems a little bit ludicrous that 72 hours would be the number when it's having an immediate effect. Yeah. On... And we mentioned that in our response to the RFI that patient safety comes first. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter. 72 hours sort of silly when you're, you know, in a situation where you're unplugging everything and trying to make sure everything still works. Right. An entire operating right. room goes down. You're, you're, so that's... Like, we'll, wait, we'll wait three days right. before we bring yeah, it back. Yeah, no, it'll take as long as it takes for us to ensure patients are safe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is for all critical infrastructure, but I mean, my I'm clearly biased, but we're the poorest and least resourced. So... I just have a, I have a, a rookie question here. I mean, I, I, we've got about five minutes. When you go and talk to members of Congress that might be physicians or healthcare professionals in a previous life, how do they, I mean, are, is it fair to say that most doctors would agree with this kind of policy? Or do, or do you see pushback from people with that background? I've never met a provider who is like, I would like to invite a mandate into my life. I said no provider ever. That is no, no, it's, that's like, that's like me saying, like, I've met a carb that I didn't like. I like all carbs. They're tasty and delicious, but, but doctors do not like mandates. Okay. And hospitals, depending on the level of resource, you know, if the smallest ones, like they, they're just trying to get to nurses to Chelsea's point that you're trying to get the nurses to show up, right? They're trying to find a cyber expert they can afford, <laughs> You know, or if they or multi here, here's yet your fifth hat that you're wearing today. Hi, I know that you from like being, you know, the chief information officer, but you're not a CISO, you know, and you're also, you know, doing this, that, and the other things. Our smallest folks are just struggling to deliver patient care, which is our primary responsibility. Our bigger ones, you know, more sophisticated, they this in stride, and this is what you should do to cost of doing business, and it's the right thing to do for patients. Um, and then there's the ones in between. This is going to be tough, but I probably can figure it out within the right glide path. But the individual practitioner, no, no, no one's ever said like, let me, let me invite some more mandates into my life. Okay, interesting. Okay, and, and it, to the other side of it, I mean, we we talk about offset thing, and and one of the biggest problems that CISOs have in trying to get funding in their own providers is that it doesn't get offset with revenues. I mean, it's, it's sort of revenue free, and it's basically a tax on the organization. So I can imagine trying to find an offset within the government is not going to be any easier to say, okay, well, this is going to produce tremendous amount of revenue for the government. One that's that is palatable to us, right? Especially if it would be hurtful to us in other ways, and which is often what happens. And there's not a lot of information out there that um, pays for itself completely and also makes the government money. So yeah, it's, it's considered an unfunded mandate. That's the term de jour in Washington when the government does not attach money, which usually doesn't attach money, if I'm being honest. Um, the one place it might, you might see maybe some savings, I say potentially, I think we'd have to talk about this a little bit more with our members is maybe on your cyber insurance, right? If you start following a, you know, a dedicated set of practices, then I could see that maybe at least leveling out, but it's not like you're going to get some amazing bargain. I, I can't imagine. Or a check from or HHS saying, congratulations right. so much for doing this. We appreciate it. Yeah, and they haven't had too much such success with the prescription side of that uh, in saving people money. So it's uh, that's a, 
something to be desired. Uh, we have a, we have two minutes left. I mean, could you give us sort of a view of uh, other aspects of this policy or other things that we should keep our eyes open for? I mean, there must be something out there on artificial intelligence you guys are looking at or something like that. We can't have a radio show without saying the word artificial intelligence at least once. It's required. You've ruined this now for me because I just finished <laughs> reading a nearly 1,000 page, and by reading, I mean deciphering and reading regulation called AI1 from our friends at ONC, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. Uh, it's a doozy. It, it's a big one. Remember, alert and cheat sheet will be coming. It's, we've distilled it to about 32 pages, just shy of that. So um, it's got a lot of implications for AI used in healthcare if you're using certified um, IT. So they are regulating all forms of AI and they are calling it predictive decision support interventions or DSI. Is this uh, one in the spirit of volunteerism as well or is this got teeth no, it's, in it? It's absolutely required. Okay. <laughs> a lot That's of transparency <laughs> pieces. A I'm lot sorry, of I'm just looking at volunteerism and then cybersecurity, it just cracks me up. Yeah, that's not a thing. So mm -hmm. uh, the HTI one rule, I think, is going to be pretty wide sweeping, and they're already talking about HTI two. So I'm just going to mentally pretend that that's not a thing. <laughs> okay, great, Mari. Any closing comments? In Thirty seconds. I would seconds, just say, you know, going back to your mention about meaningful use, you had the era of meaningful use. We're now entering like the decade of HTI one and cyber mandates. So that's where we are. So everybody. Strap in, brace for impact. We're we're moving into a Fasten different seatbelts. Okay, Fasten good seat to belt. know. Well, I'd, I'd like to thank you so much. It was lively. I didn't think it ever could be that lively about this kind of uh, legislation, or it's not legislation, or policies, or recommendations, or volunteer programs. So, I'd like to thank you for joining us here on Health South Radio. Please tune in every week uh, where we'll be having new episodes. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today in the shadows for this episode of Health Stealth Radio with Frank Katita. If you like the program, please be sure to share your comments on our social media sites or feel free to contact us with suggestions for new and stealthy show themes. We look forward to welcoming you again for our next broadcast. In the meantime, stay safe out there.